Despite higher airfares and inflation across the board, it's been one of the busiest European summers for travel. The pandemic rebound has been huge, outpacing pre-pandemic numbers. People were very keen to get back out there. But along with the Greek island beaches and the pasta on the Amalfi Coast, travellers also encountered terrible wildfires and temperatures nearing 48 degrees The effects of climate change are here. How should you manage your travel plans in this context? Ben Groundwater is our go-to voice on travel, host of the Flight of Fancy podcast. Ben, great to have you back with us. Great to be here. Now, you just returned from Spain. How was the weather? It was very, very hot. Unseasonably hot, I guess you would say, but then we have to kind of accept the fact that maybe it's not that unseasonable these days. Um, yeah, I was I was in the south of Spain around Jerez and Cadiz, um, and it, it was about you know, 35, 36 degrees every day, and, and this is in, in October when you would start to expect things to be cooling down a little bit. Um, and, and I was up in, in Oviedo in, in Asturias, up in the north of Spain, which is much, much cooler. Normally, at this time of year, it would be around 18 degrees, you would expect, uh, but again, it was it was like 32, 33 degrees um, and, and everyone was remarking on it. So mm. it, it was a really interesting experience for me to be so uncomfortably hot at that time of year and, and just to realise how much things are changing. Well, yeah, do you think this Northern Hemisphere summer was a shock to travellers after a few, you know, relatively mild La Nina years or were people just like, I don't care, I've had the lockdowns and now I want to fly? <laughs> Look, I think probably a little bit of both. I, I think people were desperate to go anyway, and, and so did. Um, but I think at, at the same time, a lot of people got there and realised, hey, this is actually really uncomfortable and, and not all that nice because, I mean, there were there was it was widely covered. There were huge heat waves that swept across Europe in particular um, during the, the Northern Hemisphere summer of this year. You know, places like Rome, it was it was over 40 degrees for, for several days in a row. Athens had record temperatures. Prague had record temperatures. Uh, I and, and I was back in Australia and, and watching people over there and thinking that just that just doesn't sound like a nice travel experience to me. It's too much. Well, yeah. Do you think that people will start changing their ideas about what are desirable destinations or perhaps move to different uh, travel times? Yeah, I think travel different travel times is probably the most likely. I, I think destinations like Italy, like Spain, like Greece are going to be remain popular. You know, people still want to go to those places because they're incredible. And, you know, we know so much about them. There's there's a real desire to go there and there always has been. And I I don't think that will change. But yeah, I think timing is is probably something that it will take a while for people to realize that they maybe do need to alter. But, but you know, typically we like to go at the height of summer is, is peak season. It's when all the Europeans have their holidays, but it's also when we kind of want to be there to have the best of the weather, to go to the Lidos and the beaches and, and to sort of live that... Dolce Vita in some ways, but but to me, I, I think that uh, you know the experience of being there in like July and August in the south of Europe is is just going to continue to be really uncomfortable, and and so maybe we'll, people will start to think of the shoulder seasons or what traditionally have been the shoulder seasons, months like April, May, or October, even November will suddenly, I think, become much more popular because obviously you're staying away from the summer holiday crowds, but at the same time, you're probably getting much better weather and still warm weather where you can really enjoy all of those good parts about Southern European life without putting up with the absolutely stifling heat. I was reading, though, how some of the Nordic countries are seeing a bit of an uptick, particularly from US travellers who you know would prefer a milder destination. Do you think we might see that, that shift to different countries, different times of year? 
Yeah, certainly. I, I think that's a that's a real possibility. Um, I, people have always wanted to go to those countries. I think, uh, but, you know, the Nordic countries, but Germany, Prague, uh, the Czech Republic is is another one. Even though it was super super hot this year, um, those are probably not kind of beachy destinations. Like even even if you go at the right time of year, I don't think it's going to be a sort of classic beach holiday in the same way going to like Sicily or, or Ibiza or something like that would be. But at the same time, they're really enjoyable destinations for different reasons. And, and you can go up there and kind of escape if you have to travel. You know, it's becoming popular with Americans, I think, because a lot of them have to travel at the height of summer because that's kind of when they're getting their holidays as well, when their kids are off school, mm. when people typically tend to take holidays. And so they need to travel then. And so if it's if it's 40 degrees in Rome, maybe it's a lot better to go to Berlin or to Stockholm or something like that. So Australians aren't really tied to those those sort of times in that same fashion as Americans are. But at the same time, yeah, I think that it is a nice time to go away and maybe people will start to look at those other destinations and think of them as summer holiday destinations rather than just a nice place to go. I understand that some tourist attractions are adapting too, aren't they? That You know, closing at particular times of day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's just too hot. You know, everyone kind of – I think when you go to the south of Spain, somewhere like Seville – the idea of a siesta kind of seems like a little bit strange to us. And then you get there and, and the middle of the day is just so baking hot and, and you know, it's concrete everywhere and whitewashed walls and, and all this sunlight is reflecting into you. And suddenly the idea of, of sort of cocooning for a couple of hours in the afternoon and then coming back out again late in the day becomes a really obvious idea and, and a really good idea. And, and yeah, tourist attractions are, are, are adapting to that as well and, and just closing and allowing people to, to take a little break for a while because it's just far too hot. Yeah, the Acropolis, for example, good choice Acropolis. And I think the Coliseum was offering really early morning tickets at one point as long as you had your tour guide with you, which makes sense. Ben, groundwater. It does. Yeah. Do you think that there are some kinds of holidays that just might be untenable? I mean, you mentioned the idea of, you know, sunning yourself in 48 degree temperatures. No, thank you. Or the ski holiday. I think, look, if, if I was someone who was looking to buy shares in a tourism company, it, it would not be a ski resort right now. Um, I, look, I, I think the beach holidays are still going to exist because there are so many places around the world that you can go to a beach and so many times of year that you can go to a beach. So maybe if you can't go in July or, or in you know around Christmas time in the Southern Hemisphere, if it's too hot, you can go at another time of year. You can still make that trip happen. Ski trips, though, uh, there's not many places in the world relatively that you can go skiing there's not many mountains there's not many resorts that are really suitable and so they're very very dependent on the the patterns of the weather and and the more the the globe heats the more weather patterns become unpredictable, you know, the harder it is it's going to be for these places to to survive, and and the more people are going to have to spend on holidays that that are really, you know, you just never know what it's going to be like when you get there. And and so to me, yeah, as much as I love skiing and snowboarding, that's it's something I've done for my whole life, and and it's sad to me to to think that that maybe this type of holiday just won't be feasible anymore. But at the same time, I, I think that's kind of the reality of of climate change is that something has to give, and and maybe the ski and, and snow trips are, are those things. Well, and quite a few people on text, Ben, are pointing out the irony of having this discussion about the impacts of climate change around international flying, uh, maybe reflecting on our contribution as travellers to climate change, says Sandy Inglebe, should become part of our holiday decision making. We're helping make the planet warm. And another text says, I think it's incredible that people feel okay about flying due to it being the largest part of your carbon footprint by far. If I travel overseas again, I'll travel overseas 
overseas again when there are electric or hydro planes or solar-powered sailing options. How do we grapple with that, Ben? I'm sure that this is something that, as a travel writer who flies for a living, you have had to uh, talk about and think about. Yeah, this is this is really a really awkward reality to to face up to. You know, one of the obviously my talking about going to Spain. Uh, you know, how did I get there? I flew in a, in an airplane, which was spewing carbon, and and you can't just get there and think, oh, it's really hot over here. That's kind of weird. Without taking into account your own contribution to that. And and yeah, I think this is a really difficult thing because I, I think there are some really inherent goods about travel. I, you know, obviously it helps to spread money around the world. It provides employment. We saw during COVID so many people lost their jobs because tourism suffered. Um, uh, you know, cultural understanding that it breeds, all of those things are really good. But at the same time, yes, we are really damaging the environment by doing this thing and, and this thing that I in particular really love. And, and so it's about figuring out ways to lessen your impact. Um, obviously, flying less is a big thing. One of the things that I try to do now, if I'm going somewhere, is to fly there and fly back if, if you need to, because coming from Australia, you, you kind of do. That's kind of a reality. But then only travel overland from from there. You know, Don't take multiple flights on, on a trip. Travel by train when you can. Travel by bus when you can. These are just small things that, that people can do to, to lessen their impact. Um, but but certainly, just, just overall, going on fewer trips is something that I'm now doing and, and that's something I know a lot of other people in the industry are, are, are conscious of and, and trying to do themselves. Um, but it's difficult. I don't think there's any there's any really good answer because there is no such thing as a trip that has no impact. You're always going to, to be doing that. And, and so this is a thing we need to think about now. Mm. And some people, you know, choose to take up uh, offset schemes when they fly. I know there's been a bit of criticism of, of airline offset schemes as a form of greenwashing. What's your view? Yeah, look, I, I think it's not. It feels good, um, which which is certainly nice in some ways. I'm not sure that it's necessarily the the cure that we're all looking for. I um, mean, it's something that I do anyway, but I but I also don't kid myself into thinking that that suddenly cancels out my my flights and and makes everything okay. Um, it's yeah, it's a, a thing that people should do, but at the same time, it's far 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 better for the the world and the environment just to not get on that plane in the first place. So so yeah, tough. And for those who do travel, Ben, do we need to start thinking more about building in a bit more flexibility around cancellations and changes for starters? Because there's been a lot of unpredictable weather and uh, disaster events, haven't they? Yeah, there has. Obviously, it's it's not just general warming that that's happening around the, the the world. There are more floods, there are more droughts, there are there are hurricanes and tornadoes and and all of those kind of things to to take into account. And typically, a lot of travel insurance policies, in particular, haven't covered for those kinds of things. But now, increasingly. They are just because these are things that people are worried about and, and that they need to be insured against. So I, I would certainly say to people to make sure that you are covered for those things if you can find coverage for that. Um, it's, it's really important because it's, it's becoming more likely that it will happen to you. And, yeah, also being flexible as well, keeping an eye on on natural disasters and, and weather patterns and, and maybe changing your plans at the last minute if you need to because places like that don't need you just arriving and, and you know, having to help you as well as, as everybody else if there happens to be a natural disaster. So it's just this is part and parcel of the, of the modern-day travel experience. Yeah, we might need to change our ideas on travel insurance about what constitutes an act of God, for example. Ben Groundwater, it's always fun chatting to you. Thanks so much for your thoughts on this pretty thorny issue today. No problem. Great to chat. Thanks. Ben Groundwater's a travel journalist and the host of the Flight of Fancy podcast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations. 
live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.